You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, inspiration, day jobs, bad habits, and mental health. We talk about art. We talk about spiritualism. We talk about imposter syndrome, perfectionism, meritocracy, and mediocrity. We do sometimes talk about things like sexual assault, suicidal ideation, self-harm, trauma, and whatnot. So, you know, be advised. Each week, artists, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people join me, Brad Pearson. Not a doctor. Not a therapist. Not an expert. In a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self Hello everybody Welcome to another episode of Self-Worst I'm your guy, I'm your man, I'm your dude Brad Pearson. We're in uh, December now. How about that shit? One month left of this pretty disappointing year. Not great. Not as bad as 2020. But pretty bad overall. It wasn't great. Could have been better. What are you going to do? It's Christmas time. It's the Christmas season. You know what that means. For us on the show, that means it's white Russian season. Oh yeah. That's the only time of the year that I can drink these uh, disgusting, syrupy, milky drinks. A lot of people think that white Russian is a repugnant drink. And I do kind of, in theory, agree with them like milk and vodka in a drink together like that sounds fucking disgusting but they're amazing sometimes once a year you get cozy you put on a sweater you put on a little Vince Guaraldi you get your Christmas lights out you have a white Russian And that's how you process the most serotonin-deprived time of the year. And you get through it. We got some Christmas decorations. I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not wild about Christmas. You know, I'm more of a Halloween guy. You know Halloween's my vibe. Of course it is. But, you know, Christmas is fun. I don't take it that seriously. And I don't have, you know, a whole lot of I got mostly warm memories. I'm very privileged that I got mostly warm, fuzzy memories of the artificial tree and the cutesy little Hallmark ornaments that we put up on the tree and, like, getting presents. Getting one of those Tiger Electronics Sonic the Hedgehog games and being, like, thrilled to death about this bullshit little LCD Sonic the Hedgehog game. I was thinking that was the best thing ever. That's mostly what I associate with Christmas. I don't have, like, like trauma and shit. I know a lot of people do. I'm sympathetic to y'all. But Christmas is fine. It's whatever. 
I got some Christmas lights. Put them up in the backyard. Put up, put up some in the living room. Got those C9s. That's those big fat ones. The opaque ones, not the clear ones. Fuck the clear ones. I want the opaque, multicolor. I'm talking green. I'm talking blue. I'm talking red. I'm talking orange. I'm talking yeah, maybe purple if you're getting fancy. There's usually white ones on there. That's about it. Very simple. Nice, bold, and uh, uh, uniform colors coming through. You know, you're not looking right at the filament. It's like a nice, diffuse, like, oh, love a C9. So we got some of those. I guess we're going to Nebraska for the uh, for the holiday. Um, you know, we got our we got our flight booked. We're gonna hopefully see the family. You know, Omicron variant notwithstanding, whatever. I don't know. I just took a COVID test today. Um, it's negative. By the way, thank you very much. That shit. Oh my god. I went. I tried to go to uh, CareCube, by the way, today in the city, and they tried to charge me $225 for a COVID test. How long have we been in this fucking pandemic, folks? How have we not figured this shit out by now? How is it? How are we not getting fucking COVID tested just like bodegas and shit? You should be able to get a COVID test as easily as you get like a watered-down, stepped-on cup of coffee at a bodega. Come on. The fuck are we doing? Anyway. Traveling and shit. Low-key stressed about that, but, you know... When I heard about the new variant and all of that stuff... I kind of just felt dead inside. I kind of didn't panic. I'm kind of, like, out of panic kind of like out of that heart sinking dread you know that like that that feeling when when your chest contracts and all the cortisol releases in your body when you hear something and you're like oh fuck like I'm, I just kind of like don't do that anymore like no matter the news I'm like yeah cool fine this is happening now. What are you going to do? I don't know, folks. I hope y'all are doing well. I hope you're managing your stress. This is a stressful time. We got a lot going on. Holidays and all of that shit that I've been talking about. Not easy for a lot of people. My heart goes out to you. If you are struggling right now, not gonna lie, I'm not struggling right now. I'm doing fine. I'm feeling pretty good. And that's. That's. I would say maybe unusual for me at this time of year. Usually this is a kind of a hard time, struggle time. I'm fine. My guest 
on this episode is Alex Bozanovic. He's a comedian based in Detroit. I know him through a friend of mine. Um, that's right. I have a friend. Friend's name is Julian. He's not on the show. Not yet, anyway. He's also from Detroit. And uh, they're like old school buddies. Little kids growing up in Detroit together. And uh, I met him that way. He's in the Detroit comedy scene. He's very, uh, he's just a cool guy. He's a cool guy. He was easy to talk to and was very uh, game, very gung-ho for this show. Is gung-ho a word you can still, is that an okay word? That feels like something that's like low-key racist. Like, like, you know, getting gypped or something like that. I feel like it has like its uh, roots in something bad. I don't know. If it is, I'm sorry. But anyway, he was very game, we will say, to come and talk on the show. And we talk a lot about uh, the idea of stolen valor, I guess, for lack of a better term. About, uh, you know, feeling like acknowledging that, hey, I understand that a lot of people are struggling worse than I am that I am very privileged and that a lot of people are much worse off than me. So before you go calling me brave and all of this shit, nobody's ever called me brave. They call him brave. We'll get to that. You'll hear it. You know, let's, let's pour one out for the, the people who are like really in the fucking trenches. And let's count our blessings. Huh? Anyway. Is that all I wanted to talk about at the top of the show? I think so. The Midwest. Let's go to the Midwest. Let's get out of this New York coastal elite bullshit that we've been doing on the show. I've been giving you people from 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 Pittsburgh. I've been giving you people from the Twin Cities. I've been giving you people from Detroit. I'm trying to mix it up a little for you. A little bit. Let me know. Selfworst at gmail.com. At Selfworst on Instagram. DM me. Whatever. Let me know if you got people who are kind of off the grid. And you want them to be on the show. And they're not in the fucking scene, but they want to be seen. You know what I mean? All right. This is fucking idiotic. I'm going to transition now to the interview, which is a lot more listenable than this intro because there's someone else there and it's not just me talking. So that's a lot more tolerable. So get ready. That's going to be a lot better. Thank you for sticking around through this part. I'm going to see you on the flip side. I'm going to have all my plugs and all my socials and credits and blah, 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 blah. A debriefing on the other side of the show. If you make it that far. If you're a real one. If you're not a fucking quitter. 
Or if you're like listening to this on your bike or in your car and you don't want to bother like skipping ahead, like reaching for your phone, skipping ahead, and you're just like, God, fucking get on with it. I don't want to fucking buzzer. Whatever you're doing. I hope you're having a good one. I hope you're cozy. I hope you're uh, breaking out the thermals, staying warm. Timberland, Carhartt, Dickies. Get you some sturdy, warm, durable clothing for the winter. Rainproof, windproof, waterproof, snowproof. Bulletproof, too, frankly, if you're living in America. Just get on that. Get inside. Cuddle up. Listen to this episode with my very special guest, Alex Bozanovic. Uh, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. How about you? I'm all right. I just... Right before we started recording, I just bit the fuck out of my cheek. <laughs> I was having a little bit of string cheese. I was sharing some string cheese with my dog. She likes string cheese. And I just like fully bit down. Like I'd already bitten it once. So I'd like, you know, when you like reopen it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah it, oh, man. It's like, like I taste blood right now. Yeah. Well, you're tasting what you, your dog wishes they were tasting. Yeah. My dog wants to eat me. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I hope it doesn't, uh, affect my, uh, you know, my speech because <laughs> I, I feel like I, I sound like I have something in my mouth. I'm doing like the, like Holly Hunter, like talking out of the side of my mouth thing. <laughs> um, so we haven't talked for a while. Um, you, you came once, uh, to New York, uh, I believe a couple, couple years ago, uh, you know, pre pandy and all of that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we know each other through uh, through our friend Julian. How do you know Julian, anyway? I grew up with Julian. Um, we, uh, I mean, he lived like two or three doors down from me. Oh. Um, and, yeah, we just, we have just been friends since then. I mean, I think I was like three. He was like four. That's adorable. <laughs> a couple of, couple of little burly Midwestern slobs. <laughs> right, we were little toothpicks back then. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember I was sitting on my grandparents' porch and he just like pulled up on his Transformers big wheel and he oh was like, God. you want to ride? <laughs> adorable. That's the best. That's the greatest. So you, you grew up in Detroit. You were born and raised in Detroit, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I just went to Detroit for the first time a couple of years ago, and, and it, oh, like, nice. I mean, like really hanging out there. I'd been like around, you know, like passed through, like you know, like Troy and a couple places, but I hadn't yeah, really yeah. like fucked around in the city. Um, yeah. But it's dope. It's a whole vibe. That that yeah, town is yeah. really cool. Yeah, I mean, Detroit's always been interesting. Like it's always been, um, you know, kind of like a fun, like place for like creative, like people like artists and stuff um i mean <laughs> it it was rough growing up like yeah. when i was when i was a kid um it was not like it is now it was um i mean it was very rough there there were not very many um like neighborhoods that you could feel safe with no street lights on in yeah. um i mean there are a few places but like now i mean it's it's totally changing now um, you know, there's a lot of uh, neighborhoods popping up. 
um you know back then it was a lot of like rave and kind of like unofficial cool stuff that you would go to and now it's kind of just turning into like official kind of lame stuff yeah i was uh, gonna ask how do you feel about that because i mean you know the same thing obviously has been happening for the past several decades in new york i feel like we've really peaked here like we're you know it's it's like fully gone but like in detroit it feels like that's still sort of like burgeoning it's still kind of halfway and like i I imagine there's different yeah in detroit right now it really kind of just feels like the beginning of that renaissance in brooklyn yeah because like you know i i mean obviously you live in new york you you are very familiar with that um you know like it's like in those beginning stages where there's still cool stuff to do but like where you know panera breads are starting to pop up (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah it's it's hard to know because you know it's on the one hand, you're like, yeah, it's safer and there's maybe more things to do. But on the other hand, you know, what do you... I'm, is I this, mean, it's is been... this going to be the same place? Is it going to be like a real place for Detroiters anymore? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been at least four or five years since I've had someone offer me drugs by opening up their trench coat and having like syringes just hanging on the inside of their trench coat. Uh, that's when that's when Detroit was fun. That was that was at its peak fun. Was it, I mean, like, you know, I mean, uh, talk a little bit about that. Was it like that with your neighborhood? Was it, did you grow up in a rough uh, neighborhood or was it kind of um, chill where uh, you were? Our neighborhood was always kind of chill. Like where we grew up, it's, te- it's called, it, it's technically a city inside, like inside of Detroit. Mm-hmm. So it, it's called Hamtramck. And um, Hamtramck is one of the like nooks that uh, was mostly unaffected by the riots in the 60s. Um, I, I mean, it wasn't like untouched, but it, you know, there were still families living there. Um, you know, the neighborhood was still kind of, you know, it was like, it was a neighborhood. It, it wasn't the picture that you see of Detroit when CNN comes through, right. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, like the houses were kept up, there were businesses, like it was a thriving community. You know, there was a little bit of crime, but it was like petty stuff. Like you get your bike stolen or, or something right. like that. Um, but like all the neighborhoods, like immediately around Hamtramck were all like pretty rough. Uh, you know, it would be like an entire city block with just two houses on it. Um, you know, and one of those houses might be, you know, burnt up. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it was just, it was, like I said, there weren't many like attractions to go to, you know, there, there was like the Heidelberg project. You know, yeah. a lot of a lot of people would, uh, you know, suburbanites would come down and visit that and take pictures and then, you know, drive 30 minutes back to their house. Um, you know, it was mostly like things like that, like art projects like that back then. Um, you know, there were some like <clears throat> just random like art warehouses and things like that. It was mostly I mean, it, it was literally mostly artists, artists and musicians that were occupying the city and doing the interesting things like that um and now you know like i said it is shifting it's becoming more of a corporate thing um there's still there still are those like uh you know independent kind of things going on different like artists doing pop-ups and and musicians and you know we're trying to get like the comedy scene going (laughs) um you know and and 
it's really more of like the alt comedy scene. There's always been a comedy scene in Detroit. There just never really was much of like an alt comedy scene in Detroit. And that's really what we're trying to kind of like get going here right now. <clears throat> how long is that? How long has that been uh, going on? You've because you're you're part of that whole scene and you're trying to yeah. get that off the ground and uh, you're running a show and you know talk a little bit about um, you know the the desire to want to build something there where you are and where you live in Detroit versus uh, going somewhere else. Yeah, um, I, I I've been. If you don't count the pandemic, I've been doing it for six years. Um, it, it's been seven total years, but for that year, I wasn't doing any comedy because I just, I didn't want to put people in a position to come to a show to watch me and possibly get sick, you know? Yeah, no, it's not so, really good. Yeah, so I just put a hold on it. Um, but yeah, so for, you know, six years, I've been running shows and doing shows and all those kinds of things around the city. Um, <clears throat> and like I said, there's always been a comedy scene here. Um, you know, like uh, one of the more, probably more popular comics that that's come out of Detroit. His name is Kool-Aid. He passed away a few, uh, I think like, actually I think over the pandemic, um, you know, he, he was on like, you know, the Apollo like he, he did all those like big shows like that and that scene had all has always been here that scene's been here for a long time um it's just there's never been like an alt scene you know there's never been like the weird like um you know I, I can't I'm so my recall is so terrible I always <laughs> yeah. forget people's names they're like super super famous and everybody knows who they are and I just cannot pull their name out. <laughs> um right. uh, uh Bo Burnham you know, right. there's, no, there, there's never been like that kind of scene in Detroit. And that's right. kind of like what we are kind of working to try to build here, because there's a lot of we, we feel there's a lot of talented comics here. And we feel um, a lot of times that we get overlooked because we're from Detroit. Um, so really, we're just trying to to create like good shows here for out of town comics to come and feel like it's worth it to come. So that they can see some of us and be like, oh, there, there's something going on here, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit more about uh, your upbringing. Uh, we got, you know, young Alex growing up uh, in Detroit in Hamtramck. Um, you're, both your parents were immigrants. Your dad uh, uh, was bipolar. Um, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> like, I, so for myself like i i very much so was a nerd i did not do i didn't get in trouble i didn't do anything um my parents said don't leave this block i didn't leave that block <laughs> like um were you were just, you scared like of like actually leaving the block and like the neighborhood and like oh it actually is dangerous out there or were you more just like afraid like your parents put like the fear of god in you it was more repercussions. Mm -hmm. it, it was it was more like the parents, like, and it wasn't like fear of God. It was more like genuinely, like I didn't want to let down my parents, you uh -huh. know, and like, and like, if I if I didn't do what they asked me to do, I was gonna let them down, you know. And so like, I just was a nerd like that. I just I didn't do anything. I stayed on my block. I was only friends with the people that were like immediately around me. I mean, obviously, right. I had friends at school and stuff, but I didn't hang out with them after we left. You know, I mean, around high school, obviously, I started leaving and going out more. But like elementary and middle school, I was just on my block. And um, this is where 
Julian came in. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm picturing him on that big wheel, like he's still got the, the yeah. skin fade and the beard, but he's like yeah, five yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah, we, no, I mean, we were both hey, five brother. years old. Yeah, we were both five years old. We had five year old bodies, but we still had these beards. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but yeah, we did, it was a lot of sports. We played a lot of sports on the block. Um, Julian had like hockey equipment. We would like play hockey in the street uh wiffle ball uh football we'd put up milk crates in the alleys and play basketball i mean it was like it was just a lot of that kind of stuff um you know with the family like you know my dad was bipolar and that uh complicated things um he um you know he he didn't acknowledge that he he didn't want to address that and so we would just have to deal with his episodes um when he wasn't in a bipolar episode he was you know one of the most caring loving selfless people um but when he would go into an episode you know obviously he's a different person at that point were his episodes (laughs) was he having highs or lows or was it both um i mean the lows were the ones that were noticeable but i'm sure he was probably having highs too like i'm sure whenever his whenever his personality was out of balance whether it was the positive or the negative i'm sure that was probably an episode you know manic episodes tend to sometimes be a little bit less noticeable just because Mm -hmm. they're more pleasant most of the time and you're more productive Mm -hmm. and uh engaging and like you know like people can that almost gives people a little bit more of what they want except when it goes you know, it's too much and they're like, yeah. ah, I'm just going to spend all the family's money or like whatever. Like, oh, look, I just, you know, I just fucking ruined our lives. And like, you know, um, so it's it's usually a lot more noticeable when when it's, you know, the downtime. Um, was he ever officially diagnosed or is this just sort of like you, uh, so you know, at the, sort of, at- just sort of picked up on it that like, oh, this is definitely what's what this is. Well, no, at, at the time, um, he so they didn't have a bipolar diagnosis when when he did get um, hospitalized. Right. They they diagnosed him as uh, depressed and schizophrenic. Schizophrenic. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, he wasn't schizophrenic, but that's the only diagnosis they had. Right. So he had that diagnosis for a long time. And then when I went away to college, my my mom finally had a breaking point and she left the house and he did want her to come back and she gave him the conditions and so obviously the conditions were go get help see a therapist get on medication and um that's when he got diagnosed as bipolar because by then the bipolar diagnosis had been something that was there it was it was an available diagnosis and um, <clears throat> so he did. He was going to a therapist. We found one that spoke Serbian because he doesn't really speak English. Um, he was taking meds. And then um, my mom was starting to get comfortable with him again. So she went to uh, his company's holiday party with him. <clears throat> and um, that night he did not take his meds because you can't drink on those meds. And he wanted to drink while he was at the party. And my mom was like, Wait, hey, like, what the hell? And he was just like, well, I, you expect me to take these forever? And my mom's like, yeah. <laughs> right. And so my mom then realized, oh, he's just doing this to get me to come back home. And he's just going to go back to what he's been doing. So that pretty much ended my parents' relationship that night. <laughs> wow. 
What was that yeah. like for you? I mean, like, you know, it's a, it's a whole different vibe. I imagine when your parents split up when you're already, you know, a grown ass man. Yeah. I mean, so growing up, I never really understood the whole thing. I, I didn't really understand his behavior. I didn't understand why he was do like why he acted the way he was acting and he would act out and all those things. And what would, I just what thought, would those act outs look like? What were the behaviors? I mean, there, I mean, I, I remember one day he wanted to go return some car parts and my mom was busy and she couldn't go right at that moment. And he got mad and he just like kicked a hole in the wall. And, um, <clears throat> another day, <clears throat> my mom, uh, it was like Sunday morning. He went to go to my, he went to go see my grandma, his, his mom, um, for I some, he was just going to visit, I guess. And my mom was like running around all day cleaning the house and he comes home and the dishes from breakfast were still in the sink and he lost it. Like, it was just like little things like and these episodes always seem to happen when he would come back from visiting with my grandparents. Ah. Um, <clears throat> so I, I really, I think they were like a big trigger for him. Yeah. I mean, that, that does tend to be a thing. Parents do tend to be yeah. kind of a, you know, uh, they don't, uh, especially, in like untreated, undiagnosed households and situations where it's like yeah. going back generations to like the old world and shit. Like that's yeah. usually where that comes out the worst because it's just like, oh, that's just exactly what, you know, got you crazy in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And it, it was just like wild swings like that. Like <clears throat> he left the house that morning. He was he was great. He, he was in a good mood. He was happy. Mm -hmm. And then he came home and just totally different person and i like i remember another uh time my mom she so we found out later that it was kidney stones so she was like passing kidney stones we didn't know what was going on when while it was happening she was just feeling all this pain she didn't know what was going on she was freaking out and she goes she was she said to him i think i need to go to hospital and he like something triggered him and he did not want to take her to the hospital he was just like oh you think we're rich you think we can just afford that and it's like well we have health care like you work for a company that gives gives you health care she can go to the hospital so she just spent the whole night in pain and then the next morning he wakes up like nothing happened and like oh what's going on and took her to the hospital <laughs> and as a kid i don't know what's going on. i'm like what is going on like you literally spent the whole night chastising her for her body breaking down on her and now all of a sudden in the morning, you want to take her, you're just like, oh, like nothing happened. You just want to take her to the hospital. And as a kid, I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't know what that is. I'm thinking that's just who he, that's just his personality. And so like growing up, I always had a lot of animosity towards him, you know? Yeah. Um, but as I got older and I started to understand, you know, mental health and bipolar particularly, I started to have a different lens for him I, I started to be more empathetic towards him and like our relationship really kind of changed at that point did you ever get to have like have a like a like a cinematic heart to heart or is it more just like oh our vibes are better now that we hang out you know like <laughs> it, was, it was more so just like our vibes are better it was like i just understood like where he was coming from i understood what the behavior was i mean obviously it doesn't make it better but at, but like i at least know that like he's literally blacked out when he's in one of those episodes. Like he literally doesn't know what he's doing. Right. And when he comes out of it, he literally, he does not remember everything that he just did. And, and I think the moment the the like kind of aha moment for me 
was after they split, I went to go visit him one day at, um, he was still living in our, our old house that we, that I grew up in. And my mom, me and my mom moved out and moved in with my grandparents and I went to go visit him and he was just sitting there and the whole time he's just like ragging on my mom, ragging on my mom, ragging on my mom. And I finally just snapped. I couldn't take it anymore. I just like went off. I'm like, you like break walls and throw things across the room and you yell at her and you call her like garbage and you, you know, you do all this stuff to her and she's supposed to just sit here and take it. And like, just the look on his face was just like, what are you talking about? Like he had no idea. He had no idea about, he had no idea what I was talking about. And like, that was the moment where I realized like, Oh, he genuinely doesn't remember any of this. Yeah. So do, like to do him, you know if there was like like a like violence and rage like sort of modeled to him? Oh yeah, up? my my grandfather. They, I mean, they were you know they were old school. Yeah. You know they they're from Serbia, so they they grew up like in the villages of Serbia. So like, imagine what that upbringing is. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow. <clears throat> How um has your uh, mental health journey been? Um, I mean, I, <clears throat> I'm like, I, I obviously deal with things. Um, I don't view my, any kind of like mental health issues that I might have as like, um, mental health issues that warrant, you know, like some sort of, you know, medical attention. I, I don't feel like they're that serious it's more so just like oh i didn't leave my house for a while and i haven't seen my friends so i'm sad you know it's more right like, it's more like it's more stuff like that um it's always been it's always felt manageable to where you can yeah just like yeah it's never it it's never like okay I, this i can get out from under this before it pummels me yeah i've never i've never i've never had the feeling of like just hopelessness and like i'm never gonna feel good again you know what's that like <laughs> <laughs> I, there was i had like one episode sort of like that during the lockdown yeah where i was just like i just couldn't snap out of it like it lasted for more than a week and i just i just could not get myself out of like i, I just i felt very jittery and i just felt very anxious and I just felt very down about everything. And, you know, I was just like questioning everything. I was questioning, like when the lockdown was over, do I even do comedy anymore? Right. Like, I, hate, like, I think that happened, I... that happened to a lot of people in <laughs> yeah. comedy and in the arts in general. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to watch a lot of people because like, you know, as a person with depression and anxiety, just like watching, um, you know, my, my peers, my acquaintances, my friends, you know, just like kind of have their like, baby's first like mental breakdown uh, you know, like, <laughs> like during the pandemic just be like oh look at you oh you're having your first like oh this is the first time you've like really wanted to die cool let me walk you through it it's fine you're gonna be fine you know like yeah. it, was, it was really it was interesting yeah yeah and I, I i definitely had an episode like that during the lockdown yeah and um uh but yeah i mean i i i got through it i came out on the other side um, I just, I don't know. I just, I, I hesitate to call myself depressed sure. because I think there are people who truly are depressed, who truly go through things. And I just don't want to minimize what, what someone who like truly is depressed is feeling because my depression is cosmetic depression. It, it's like, 
I didn't get the thing I wanted. Like, right. <laughs> you know, you don't want, that. you don't want to steal the valor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm not trying right. to wear your fatigues, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, you did remark though, that like a lot of your twenties, uh, were spent in like a, a, you know, big phase of, I think this is true of a lot of people's twenties, uh, just a big wave of anxiety over like being where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed mm. to do. Quote unquote. Um, yeah. that was, I mean, for me too, like for everybody, like the, the, the entirety of my twenties is just like, uh, do I have enough? Am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I doing the right thing? And like, mm. you know, just like that whole sea of shit. How did that affect you? And how did you work past that? Uh, I mean, it affected me greatly. Uh, I, I feel, I feel, I, I feel a lot of regret about the way I spent my twenties. When I, when I look back at my twenties, I really, really regret the way, um, I, I lived that part of my life mostly because I had that feeling of like, um, I have to accomplish things. Uh, I have to do specific things. I have to go to college. I have to get a degree. I have to, you know, get a job. I have to start a family. I have to, you know, th that was always on in the back of my head. And it, what was also in the back of my head was I have to do this now. Like I have to be a 23 year old making six figures, living in a big house with three kids. And it's like, what 23 year old has that? <laughs> like, like most 40 year olds don't have that, but here I am putting that pressure on myself. And so what that, did was it took me away from the things that I was truly interested in, which would be things like stand up. Although stand up didn't come along for me until my thirties. I didn't really, I was always a fan of stand up, but I didn't do it until I was like, uh, I think I was 34 when I started. So mm. in my twenties though, I was doing, I was, you know, auditioning for like independent films here in Detroit. I was doing community theater. Like I was trying to get into like the acting thing in my twenties and if I could do it over, um, you know, I would have, I'd leave, I, I would go to a hub city and, and I would like, I would really do it. I, I wouldn't just be around here in Detroit trying to do like a community theater show or like a Ford commercial or, you know, something like that. Like I would go and, and try to do that as a job. Would you uh, um, have wanted to start comedy earlier? If if I, knowing what I know now, I would probably do stand up comedy. I probably wouldn't do acting. I would probably go to um, like you know, New York or L.A. Um, and just start doing stand up. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's value in um, maybe spending like a year or two in a smaller scene like Detroit um, or maybe like a midsize scene like, you know, Chicago or Austin or Col or uh, Denver or something or even Atlanta. I think there's value in that because in those mid-sized scenes, um, you you you're you're working with you know probably a bigger pool of better comics, but you can still get some stage time. That's more than like three minutes, three minute increments. Yeah. Where uh, which which makes building an act easier. Where when you're in a city like New York or LA, most of the open mic spots are just like three minute spots. So if you're just starting out in those cities, it's very difficult. I think to, to build an act because you have to do it in these three minute increments. Cause at that point, nobody's booking you on a, on a showcase to do like seven, 10, 15 minutes, you know, have you ever <clears throat> left Detroit? Uh, I, mean, I mean, like, yeah, like to live, live somewhere no, else. So yeah. Um, 
I, I, I don't count it unless I leave Michigan. Like, I mean, I've, I've lived in other cities in Michigan, but like, um, I've never like left Michigan to live. Mm. Um, you know, I've obviously I've visited places, but, uh, yeah, the furthest I think I've moved from home is Ann Arbor. So, (laughs) I mean, comedy is a rough place for, um, for anybody to find any sense of self-worth. Um, it tends to be a, it tends to be a field where people that draws people who are very, you know, who, who are susceptible to insecurity. Um, and it also, I mean, it just exacerbates that insecurity a hundred. Yeah. So like, I mean, managing your own mental health while working in that industry, um, you know, is just, Everybody I've talked to has been like, yeah, it's uh, it's a little rough. It, it like the the thing that I want to do is the, also the thing that uh, just is killing me. <laughs> so it's 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 very it's very difficult because um, it's very easy to kind of um, measure yourself against other people, mm-hmm. and it, it's very easy to kind of look at someone else and think to yourself well i'm i'm better than that person why are they getting these opportunities and i'm not <laughs> you know and then that kind of that obviously messes with your 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 mental health um and then you know you see sometimes you see like your friends doing things together that you didn't know that they were going to do together and you're like well why didn't they ask me to do that i would have done that i, I, right. I totally wouldn't down to do that <laughs> so then you start like do they hate me like <laughs> do they think i'm not funny like why didn't they ask me to do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean that's what w- one of my biggest uh things i think this is like an add thing is uh detecting even just the slightest change in someone's energy towards me and mm. interpreting that as like, oh, they hate me. I've offended them somehow. <laughs> like something's bad. Something's off. I need to apologize. Or it doesn't even matter if I apologize. Like I'm fucked. That I've like I've yeah. ruined this relationship. So it's just it's it's very hard to uh, manage. Yeah, and then that and then that feeds into your um, ability to get booked on things mm-hmm. because um, I mean by nature dealing with bookers is rejection and it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't think you're good or that they don't think you're funny. It's just like they run a specific room and they know what's going to work in their room and maybe you're not going to work in their room. And so that's why they're not booking you. But you know, you're like, you see them out and you're friendly when you're out and then you try to like get on their shows and you don't get on their shows and then you're like, Oh, they hate me. And so you don't continue to pursue trying to get on those shows and you end up, just never getting on those shows where if you just were a little bit more persistent, you could have probably gotten on the show. And that's something I deal with a lot. Like there's, there's a lot of shows that I don't get on because I've only tried to get on them once and I got rejected. I was like, Oh, well they hate me. I'm not gonna... it, yeah. You took it. personal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ha, like what do you do to kind of work past that? I mean, do you, do you just, is, is there a, a way you work and, and remind yourself like, no, nope, Alex, this is the industry. Like, cause when you're, mm. you know, it's easy when you're just uh, like sitting and, and talking about it with me, um, mm. to, to kind of think about it in a, you know, logical, rational, uh, way and, and sort of use wise mind mm. and say like, well, yeah, that was painful that they rejected me, but 
you know, it's not all about that and I don't need to take it <laughs> personal and I can, uh, I can get back on my feet and it doesn't, you know, determine my worth. But like in the moment, like when you're just alone in your head and you don't have anybody else to like bounce that off of, like, what do you, what do you do? So I, it, it is, it's, it's difficult as I get older, um, just because I don't have the energy to deal with this, <laughs> you know, like, it, um, when I was just starting, when I was like still in my mid thirties, um, if I tried to get on a show and I didn't get on that show, I would just go to the show when it was happening and just hang out at the show. Like I would just make sure I went to the show every month when it was happening or every week when it was happening and just be there. Right. And eventually the people running the show would just be like, Oh, well, this guy's here all the time. Let's just give him some time. And so I would, right. you know, I, I would get time that way. Um, now that I'm like, that I'm 40, it's like, I'm very comfortable at home. So if you tell me, no, I'm just going to stay home and watch the Pistons or something. Sure. Know? Yeah. No, I get like, it's, like, it's, it's, you know, it's real dark this time of year. It's cold. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, fucking go out again. It's already eight o'clock. Yeah. Like, oh, and yeah I exactly. have to like, I have to put pants back on and like get in my car and like drive half an hour across the city and like go to this other place and like hang out there for the rest of the night. I'm already home, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You... It's just, yeah. That the older I get, it's, it's just harder. It, it's like, if I don't get a yes right away, I kind of just end up not ever doing that. You know? <laughs> Um, you told me that one of the things that you worked out in therapy is that you're, you're poly. Um, can mm. you talk a little bit about that? Um, you know, like mm -hmm. what, what that, uh, journey of discovery was, I mean, you, uh, you're also, you're gay and you live with a, you have, you have a partner. I don't know if you, you mm -hmm. live with him or not. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what that, uh, what's that whole journey been? Cause he's not, <laughs> uh, poly you are. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, it's just, um, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of, so like, you know, I, I, with any kind of relationship like this, you have to set boundaries and you have to like set rules. So it's not like it's just a free for all and I can just go do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like party time. Um, it's, it's when, when I was just discovering it in my twenties, I was still very sloppy about it. Um, I was still, I was young. I was inexperienced. I was immature. I didn't really know how to do it. It was a new thing. I was excited. I wanted to do it. I wanted to be out there. And you know, it was, it was tough. It, it, it got, like I said, sloppy. Um, there were a lot of times where I would try to like force doing something like there wasn't really anything just organically happening. So I would just like put myself in a position for something to happen like to meet someone or to hook up or whatever and you know looking back at it now it's like that that was bad that's not how you that's not how you do this now it's more of like an organic thing it's kind of like i'm not truly seeking it out although i will say once a week i do kind of go to a gay bathhouse um that's just like my time you know right. <laughs> my, my time to let my hair down and unwind my 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 stubbled hair down right your uh, hair, so to speak. <laughs> um so yeah i mean you know, I, I i do stuff like that but like aside from that it's like in my 20s it was just like constantly cruising constantly cruising constantly trying to see who's looking who's looking who's giving me signs who's giving me signs and now it's just kind of like 
I've met enough guys to realize that 90% of people are annoying and I don't like them. So it's very much so just kind of like uh, if something happens, it happens. If not, whatever. Right. The hardest part about it all, though, is, um, you know, my my partner would rather it be just kind of like a one night stand kind of situation. But that's not really how that's not what like works for me because if it's someone that i would only want to do a one night stand with i'm probably going to be annoyed by that person i'm probably not going to want to like right. even do one time with them let alone a one night stand <laughs> you know right most one night stand like that happens when you you know you're maybe hard up for you know you're you're you're, you're yeah. it's been a minute you're desperate you yeah, want to yeah. make something happen or you're having a bad time you know you're just you're just Something yeah. else is going on, and then you're like, you know what? Let's uh, fuck somebody, and that might make me feel better. Oh, it didn't? Okay, cool. <laughs> I guess I'll do that again in a year, and it'll be fine. You yeah, know? yeah, but yeah, for, for me, it's more so about, like, connecting with a person. Like, right. you know, I, I do connect. I just, I connect with people, and then, uh, you know, it, like, it just kind of goes from there. And, um it doesn't mean that I don't love my partner anymore and that I want to leave the relationship and start a new relationship in the beginning. Sometimes I would have feelings like that, but at this point I know who I am. And I know that just because like I've developed feelings for a different person, that doesn't mean I want to go off and start a life with this person. It just means that I enjoy them. I enjoy being around them. We have fun but we still just go our separate ways after that, you know, right. uh, they're, but they're, they're a person that I care about, but they're not a person that I'm like, if I was single, maybe I could get in a relationship and start something with them. But like, I'm already in a relationship with someone that I'm happy and satisfied with. I don't need to start another relationship. They're just a person that I enjoy and that I have fun with, you know? Right. So, I mean, was this something that developed partway through your relationship or was this something that you, you know, had to talk about and negotiate um, partway in or was it something that you kind of went to, uh, you know, brought to the table from the beginning? It was definitely, it, it developed as the relationship went. Mm. Um, when we met, I was very young and I just, I mean, not very young. I mean, I was like 21. Um but it was like my first major like real rela- relationship. I, I, so you've been I dating had, this person for quite a while. Yeah, we've been together 19 years. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so um, you know, when I was 21, I still very much had that like hammered in, you know, one person for the rest of your life. And that's it. I had that kind of mentality in my head. And so, you know, I met my partner and you know we hit it off and we had a lot of fun together and we enjoyed each other and um so we we got into a relationship and at 21 i was like this is it i got it um but like as i was going to like therapy and as i was getting older in the beginning the feeling was like do i need to be should i be in this relationship should i leave this relationship should we break up and so, and, and it's, it was purely just because of age and inexperience and just not understanding myself yet, really. 
Um, cause I was only out for like a year when I met my partner. So I, I didn't really have a lot of exploration for myself. And so, you know, I was going through all of these things. Um, you know, we struggled with it in the beginning. He didn't, I mean, he understood that I was young and that this might happen, but I mean, he was still like hurt by it and he didn't really understand that it didn't necessarily mean that I wanted to leave. I didn't even understand that it didn't necessarily mean that I wanted to leave. You know I mean? Like in my head, I'm like, do I need to leave this relationship? Um, but you know, we started doing couples work. We started going to a therapist and we started working through things. And the therapist that we went to was the therapist that he went to when he was coming. Not uh, Yeah, I think it was when he was coming out, actually. And back then, he had a very different attitude about relationships. And by the time he and I were going to, to him together, he totally changed his, his view on it. He was much more pro-poly than he was at the time. And so he kind of helped us work through those things and and in those sessions we started to realize like oh we don't want to break up we 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 are happy with each other we don't want to go in different directions but we started to understand you know where each other's values were a little bit better and so that gave him more confidence to kind of give me room to go and you know do what i would need to do and but that also helped me respect his boundary and not just go buck wild crazy, even though at the beginning I kind of did go buck wild crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the, the other thing with, the, you know, there's there's certain, I don't know, stereotypes uh, about, you know, the the gay community and that there's mm. a, gay men in particular that it's. it's yeah very wide open promiscuous like once you are in a room with other gay dudes it's just like okay <laughs> here we go you know and it's very like uh, there's a lot in the way of uh open relationships and swinging and exploring and group stuff mm. and you know things like that that like very like uh you know transactional relationships and i think it's yeah. it's honestly just kind of the nature of masculine sexuality is very much just like mm. I have a boner. I want to get off right now. Can we do that? Okay, mm. cool. Yeah. Bye. Like, and that's it. And it doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to be necessarily anything more than that. It's just like, yeah, I'm that, that person's hot. I want to fuck them. Okay, cool. Yeah, I yeah, did that. Yeah. And then, you know, it's when it's both parties are in that sort of mentality, it's just like, okay, well then you can like fucking go buck wild, you know? And yeah. there's, um, maybe less of a, uh, I don't know, compromise of, of sexual values, but at the same time, like not every, you know, a uh, uh, gay person, queer person fits that stereotype. And, you know, there's, I, I know a lot of very monogamous, uh, gay people, queer people. So, you know, it, it can go either way or people, you know, like grow out of it, you know, uh, mm -hmm you get it, get that through their system and they're like, okay, that's fine. And then, you know, move yeah. on. Like, I just want to have like one person and, and like, I'm tired of it. But, yeah. um, you know, the, the idea of, I guess, uh, feeling like your extracurricular desires, shall we call them, um, are important enough to you, you know, to, to validate that as as a need enough to like bring that up with your partner in the first place is I think 
I, I imagine kind of hard and not something <laughs> that you could, you know, something that a less courageous person maybe could just like bury and just be like, well, of course I want to fuck other people, but I'm not going to because I'm going to mm. and then just like, I'm just going to silently, you know, <laughs> resent <laughs> them and want yeah. to do that, but not do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I, I didn't, I just, so in the very beginning I did, I, I cheated and, um, this is like before we did therapy before you know the discovery like before learning like what poly was and mm -hmm. and all those things um you know i did i cheated i i went out and i you know fooled around with another guy behind his back and you found out and it was bad and like that's what triggered going to to the therapist and um i didn't want to have that feeling anymore mm -hmm. I, I i didn't want to cheat so um, you know, and going to the therapist also, um, we were talking about, you know, those kinds of feelings and things like that. And that's where the, the, the idea of being poly started to like, kind of take, take form was like, I'm probably going to do these things. Like if we try to bottle this up, it's going to happen again. I don't want to do it again. So we can, we can work with it or we're going to have to break up. What was and, that like? I mean, facing that prospect of like, this could be a deal breaker. I mean, like even just like <laughs> cheating in the first place and, and like mm -hmm. that coming out and just being like, well, that this could, you know, he'd be perfectly justified to just like dump my ass and just be like, I'm done. Yeah. And yeah. Walk it, away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was hard and it was scary um, because my only instinct for, you know, questioning, the relationship was just was this one aspect it, it was literally nothing else it, it wasn't about like being unhappy it wasn't about not caring it wasn't about um you know not wanting to be with him anymore it was just it was literally just this thing i don't want to do this thing right um and that was the only source of me questioning whether or not that relationship the only problem is i'm horny but not <laughs> just for you i'm exactly. horny for you but but, but not but also just you but also other people but but also jerry down the street sure <laughs> but like um but yeah but that that's where like that's where therapy came in and that's where that really kind of helped us work through it um it really kind of helped us define those things and and identify those things and and mm -hmm. and to say like do we throw this out um despite being on the same page with nine things but just having this one thing that's not lining up like is that worth throwing this all away and you know through working with a therapist and, and things like that we kind of we started to kind of shape that and both kind of came to a consensus of like no it's it's not worth ending it for that Mm. um we'll we'll work through it we'll figure it out and it was it was tough it was very tough in the beginning it was very i probably wasn't mature enough yet to handle it not probably i wasn't i wasn't mature enough yet to handle it i was very sloppy um i i did not handle it very well and there's still effects of that now you know we're, we're still dealing with like issues from that now right um had I handled it a little bit better back then, maybe we'd be in a different place now, but you know, we're still, but we're still working with it. You know, we're still dealing with it. We're still, we're still figuring things out. Yeah. I think we're, we're way better at it now than we were back then. Um, I'm way better at it 
now than I was back then. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. There's no <laughs> scripts. There's no path. No. There's and, no, and, it's it's and, easier in a way when it's, you know... Uh, and maybe this is a weird uh, metaphor to make, but like during the lockdown when, you know, before everybody was vaccinated and there was like, you stay inside, you stay away from other people, you know, mm. you, you, you wear your mask if you're going into a public building, them's the rules, that's it. And now post vaccine, post like, you know, kind of the lockdown ending, but the pandemic is still sort of happening and we're just sort of ignoring it. Now we're like. I go into this building. I mean, we're vaccinated. Is this fine? Is this okay? Is this stupid? Should I go get a test? Am I like, am I going to fuck this all up? You know, like mm-hmm. there's just all of this question and you see a billion people doing a billion different things. You know, you go into a, a, a bar and you see five people still wearing their masks, even though they check vaccines at the door. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, are they uh, like, are they doing the right thing? Am I like, yeah, who the fuck knows? There's no rule yeah. book. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> it the pandemic definitely um I, like I wasn't going anywhere. I I was just I was at home mm-hmm. 100 unless, it, the only places the only place I was going was the grocery store. Uh if I wasn't at home I was at the grocery store and that was it. But like as soon as I got vaccinated <laughs> um you know, one of the first places I went was the bathroom. Right. <laughs> Cuz it was like Listen, you couldn't I just wait to year. swing that dick. It was like, I, I was like, listen, it's been a year. I, yeah. I, I have to go do this. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know that. I mean, but even then, like, you know, I was vaccinated the first time I went back. Um, I feel like the bathhouse did a pretty good job of like making sure, like, I mean, they temperature checked you. Um, in the beginning, they were checking cards. They don't really check it anymore, but like at the beginning, they were right. checking Vax cards. <laughs> um, you know, they didn't require masks, but they were really strongly suggesting masks. <laughs> right. Um, not really many people were wearing masks, though. But, um, but yeah, you know, were there, were, I mean, were there people like still wearing their masks and just like fucking or whatever? Or oh yeah, there like, were. There were definitely yeah, yeah, for sure. There were definitely people. Like, unless you have a dick in your mouth, you have to have your mask on. It's like you know, it's like at a bar or a restaurant. Like you unless little, you're actively. Well, you just like you get like a gimp mask. It's got like a zipper on it. You just kind of pull <laughs> right. the zipper down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, people were walking the halls with masks. I don't know if those masks stayed on if they went into a room with somebody. I doubt they stayed on. Right. But like when they were out in the hallways, they had their masks on and stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, how do you, how do you do it? How do you, I don't know. (laughs) Like, and with your partner, like, you know, navigating, um, you know, feeling like jealousy and trust and and things like Mm. that. Like, that's a, that's a very mature relationship to be able to, to do that, to, 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 Mm. um, uh, to, to take that, uh, I was going to say take that load, but I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> the phrase I want to use. But something like that. I can't come with any, up with anything else right now. I, 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 get the, I get the essence of what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Do you struggle with imposter syndrome? Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't generally feel an imposter syndrome kind of complex. Except for when I do a show and... I get off stage and I'm talking to someone and they call me brave for talking about my story. And that does kind of give me a little bit of imposter syndrome because I just, I, my coming out was not smooth. 
Like it wasn't like it wasn't, you know, just a seamless transition. But compared to some of my friends' stories that I've heard and just stories that I've read in general, yeah. Light years easier. And so when someone calls me brave for for talking about my experience and I think about what some other people went through in their coming out stories, I'm just like I'm I'm not like my parents were a little annoyed. Um, yeah. My dad took it hard. He I mean, my dad. He didn't. How, how do many anything. holes? How many holes in the wall? Annoyed. Was <laughs> there were no holes in the wall. Okay. For that one. So okay. He, so then like less of a problem than dirty dishes in the sink. I mean, not a big exactly. Deal. It's not quite dirty dishes. Sure. But but a, a little bit more than like um you know. Uh, not having dinner ready i don't know sure. whatever <laughs> you know? It, but like um you know it, he he was hard he he said some things that in the moment were hurtful that he later took back and apologized for um but aside from that that experience it was relatively easy for me it, it yeah. was not it was not a, a, a super like most of like all of my friends were were very supportive. Even some of my cousins and family who I thought were gonna just completely freak out. Um, you know, I'd say like ninety nine percent of everyone that I came out to was super supportive and and really you know, just kind of like we don't care. You're our friend. Right. You're and our just family. in in You're... general for you like out <laughs> in the world. Um, so far as feeling, you know, uh, threatened or persecuted or like in any type of you know. Uh, physical danger. I mean, you're you're a pretty big guy. You know, you're like a fairly like imposing masculine dude. Uh, you know, like I, I feel like that front is maybe okay, but I don't know. What was your experience? So I never had anybody um, directly threaten me or or like get in my face or anything like that. But I mean, when I was coming out, was like that was the Bush era. That was George W. Bush era. Yeah, and so homophobia was was still very very much so part of the culture at the time and um i feel like it was very kind of emboldened during that time because you know george w bush was yeah outwardly anti-gay it's in many easy ways. to forget that <clears throat> during that time because i think we're so used to now like in the trump era of mm. like republicanism and conservatism <laughs> um, yes the, the, the the cosmetic support for the gay community there's yeah <laughs> the, well there's that but there's also like with trumpism there's kind of a by and large i mean like a lot of his like sycophants are like weird conservative religious wackos, but like he's totally not. Like he'll pretend, yeah. like he'll hold well, up a he, Bible or whatever. Like he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, but well, he's like, a New Yorker. He's he, like, he's a, yeah, he's New he Yorker. He's he is essentially socially liberal. Yeah, you know, but, in 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 those types of ways. So like, given that, um, it I think is easy for some people to forget. Uh, you know, like the the other wave of like the, you know, conservative Republican mentality that came about in our lifetimes that was like the George W. Bush, like president talks yeah. to God kind of, you know, yeah. like, especially like, I mean, I'm from the Midwest, you're from the Midwest. It's a, it's a different vibe. Like you, it's, I feel like people have like some amnesia for it out here in New York, you know, mm. this like atheist fucking like heathen, <laughs> you know, hellhole um, <laughs> where people don't realize how strong the um 
the machinations of religion and homophobia and 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 sexism and all of the stuff that comes along that gets sort of pushed in uh mm. to religion can can really be mm-hmm. yeah yeah and in that yeah and also in that era like he was just very like george w bush was just very openly just like like anti-gay and homophobic i i mean he was you know very staunchly for don't ask don't tell yeah he he was militantly opposed to allowing gay marriage to happen uh i mean he was going out of his way to make sure gay marriage never happened um you know benefit like name it any any kind of you know when i say benefits i mean like health benefit like having your partner on your health insurance plan like that kind of thing like he was very very much so um doing things to actively block those things which emboldened people in in you know real life to then start acting out on those things like i people don't remember but back like in that era there were you know there were still attacks and hate crimes happening at gay bars like in Ohio, I remember some guy walked into a gay bar with a machete and just started like hacking people, like just taking off like yeah. limbs. It's like, and and it happened because of the energy that George W. Bush brought in, and so that was the era that I was coming out in, and so there was apprehension as I was coming out. I, I still, like, I was coming out to my family, but I wasn't like just out in the open, you know, like I wasn't walking out of my house like hey boys i'm gay right like, it wasn't like you i wasn't didn't, like, you didn't show, just, like i wasn't like it, show tuning i wasn't step like step out show, of the house in a fucking like sailor costume yeah yeah like i wasn't like doing bob fossey steps to my car down my driveway or anything <laughs> like that like i was i was still you know like right. at work and in school and places like that i was still kind of i was still closeted but like it's coming out to my family um but like, but other than, but I really kind of just view those things as minor things. I don't really view those things as like very, I never felt like I was in danger. Right. You know, I never felt like I was in any kind of like imminent danger. And I have friends who like gay, lesbian, trans friends who experience things 10 times worse than anything that I experienced. So when I come off stage and somebody calls me a hero, I'm just, it makes me feel so uncomfortable because it's like my story is not the story of a hero. Right. I'm making dick jokes. (laughs) There's nothing heroic about what I'm doing right now, you know, especially in, especially in this climate, because it's a hundred times more accepting now than it was back then. Yeah. Um, There, it, it, there are still pockets yeah, yeah and shit still careful. happens that, that the that kid like what this week a kid killed himself uh being you know bullied for for being gay and you know like like yeah it's still that stuff still happens and it's still i feel like we are still in danger as a country of there being a strong backlash um if you know the like mm. the religious right mm-hmm. is you know gains power again and like is Mm -hmm. is like a is like a big moving force i mean like what's what's happening with like roe v wade now is kind of a a testament to like the organizing power that they have like this has been orchestrated for decades like the the across states like what's been happening so like it's 
not something that I feel like we should, you know, turn our backs on and be like, yeah, oh, no. it's fine. Like homophobia is over because that's not yeah. it's never like that. But yeah, I, 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 I do see what you're saying that like things in our lifetimes have gotten just so much more chill in that department yeah. that it's it's crazy. Yeah. And, and there's also and there's there's spaces that just encourage diversity like that. And, and so, you know, it is much easier now than it was back then. And but even even though it was a little bit more difficult back then, it still wasn't like difficult mm-hmm. for a lot of people. For, for some people, it was very difficult. And th- when I think about those people, that's what makes me feel very uncomfortable when someone like calls me a hero for for what I'm talking about on stage. It's like. I'm not a hero. Like there's people who went through so much more. Like, you know, I have a, I have a comic friend. um, She's trans. She was in a bar in, um, I don't even remember where it was. I think it was like Ohio or something. It's all happening in Ohio. (laughs) Maybe uh, maybe, machetes in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe it was Pennsylvania. I don't know. She was, she was in a bar somewhere and some guys just approached her and, you know, just started saying very homophobic things to her and transphobic things to her and they they like jumped her and she's she's still to this day walks with a cane and it's like how can i call myself a hero when she is the one dealing with the real shit and she got back up and not only did she get back up but now she's on stage talking about this stuff like i'm not a hero (laughs) right i had i had a very easy experience with with coming out other people did not i'm just telling you dick jokes they're telling you real shit (laughs) right (laughs) well i mean i'm i'm glad that you know i'm glad that the experience was easy for you and i I hope that one day we you know we live in a world where the experience is just as easy for everyone um Mm -hmm. but you know at the same time like Anybody, I think, who is opening up those spaces, you know, and and is being a part of those communities is is helping in in some way, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, yeah, no, fuck you. You're not a you're not a hero. You're just some fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an asshole. You're just, some, you're just yeah. You're just you're just some guy who, uh, who tells dick jokes and and <laughs> they're very pro dick. They're very like it's very yeah. You know, and, on and, the and, the, and just because they're pro dick, it doesn't mean that they're anti vagina. Okay. Sure they're they're just pro i'm just pro dick like i'm also pro vagina i just lean more to being pro dick lean more dick (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you so much for uh being on the show alex this was really great um is there anything that you would like to plug Uh, how can people find you i know you got a couple of podcasts um tell us about that yeah um so you can follow me on instagram or twitter uh i am at popper shango on both of those um, I have a podcast called The Truth Cast, which is uh, uh, improvised parody conspiracy theory show uh, that is slowly devolving into a, go- uh, a, a homoerotic soap opera. Um, but we are keeping the parody conspiracy theory sh- uh, uh, concept at heart. Um, that is wherever you can find podcasts. And then I do another podcast called The Burt Selleck Show, um, or The Burt Bert- Selleck podcast with um, a comic friend of mine, uh, John, and a uh, 
uh, normal friend, I guess, of mine, Ian. <laughs> a civilian. Um, yeah, a civilian. Uh, that uh, it's just like a it's just a banter show. Uh, I really kind of call it the uh, it's always sunny of podcasts because really all we do is bicker for an hour and try to one up each other. Um, so if you're into that kind of thing, that that show might be up your alley. <laughs> Hell yeah. We didn't even get into that. I totally forgot. Um, we're kind of wrapping up here, but do you want to talk for a minute about because um, the ish, the topic of uh, conspiracies and conspiracy stuff and like you know all of that weird, uh, mm. I don't know that that whole weird world, um, mm. especially in the last few years, has been like a really interesting area with I mm. mean with with QAnon and everything that's mm. like that's come out of that that's just like gotten real fucking weird and almost kind of scary in a couple of places um, yeah. where you know again in our lifetimes you know you look at what like conspiracy theory stuff was when we were kids it was like X-Files stuff it was like Area 51 yeah. and like JFK and like there was almost like a kind of anti-establishment um attitude to you know a yeah. lot of a lot of conspiracy stuff and then somewhere along the line it became anti-vax stuff and all this <laughs> weird QAnon shit and like yeah. it became a really creepy place all of a sudden um yeah. what drew you towards you know like kind of that that whole field uh well i i love conspiracy theories they they're I, I just i love them so much they're so fun um there are there are conspiracies that i like think are real <laughs> mm -hmm. like the ones you just mentioned uh kennedy and you know mm -hmm. probably some of the area 51 yeah stuff. mk ultra yeah, Tuskegee, yeah, yeah. like like yeah, all I, that shit like like shit totally, did really happen like cia yeah, yeah. actually did like topple you know uh democratically elected leaders yeah, I mean, in south all america, south america like that. yeah like we look at look at iran contra like yeah there there are conspiracies that that are real um that there is you know kind of solid evidence now that we can look back and say oh yeah there was a conspiracy there and it was shady and we should maybe think about prosecuting some of the people that are still alive i don't yeah. know i'm just throwing it out there um, but then you've got like the flat earth stuff and it's like, this is silly. It's yeah. silly, but it's fun. It's just, it's fun. It like, we can't deny it. It is fun. It is a fun thing to, to play with. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is though, that people actually think it's real and it, it's just, it's incredible because, um, like with flat earth, I'm not even, gonna, I'm not even trying to convince people. I don't care anymore. They will not be convinced. The earth is flat in their minds. It's over. But my mind always just goes to if the earth was flat, shouldn't I be able to go to like the top of like here in Detroit would be the Renaissance Center. That's our tallest building. Shouldn't I be able to go to the top of the Renaissance Center and look west and see Chicago on a clear day? Right. <laughs> like, shouldn't that be possible if the earth was flat? Like, why can't I see Chicago? Right. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, I, so just being into like the Kennedy stuff and all those kinds of things, I started looking for podcasts yeah. that talked about those kinds of things. And when you do that, you end up coming up against some very nutty podcasts. Yeah. See, that's the thing is that, like, you know, you can, you can explore that world, but like, 
eventually you're going to run into like Alex Jones. And then you're like, yeah. I don't want to fucking. Like, this so is... the thing is, though, as I'm exploring these these podcasts, I'm just noticing this like really crazy culture. So I always wanted to do something with it. And then one night uh, uh, at a show with my friend Mike Bobbitt, uh, we were just kind of like talking and hanging out. And Mike started telling me about a show idea that he wanted, to, like a live show, not a podcast, that he wanted to start doing. And um, I don't really remember the full idea, but it involved um, doing slideshows and having improvisers and comics come up and give a presentation based on the slideshow and them not knowing what the slides were going to be, but they had to do some kind of cohesive presentation based on that. And I immediately, as soon as I heard that, I was like, we need to do that with conspiracy theories. And Mike immediately was like, yes. And so that's where the show kind of started. It started as a live show. So we created these like characters uh, and we were like, you know, these conspiracy theory hosts, like we, we called our shows meetings. So like every show we would say, thank you for coming to this meeting. Um, and it was literally that, like we would uh, book improvisers and, and standups and we would say, they would just have to give us a character name and a topic and then we would make slideshows based on the topic that they gave us but they wouldn't see what was on the slides so then they would have to come up on stage and present this idea as if it was their idea and as if they created the slides so they would have to like look at the slide and then explain what was happening on the slide and of course we would make the slides as wild as we possibly could make them <laughs> and then that turned into the podcast because we started thinking wouldn't it be fun if we fake interviewed some of these characters like if we did like an extended interview with these characters and so we just bring other we just bring improvisers on and for a half hour we just we riff on their topic and it's all completely off the top of our heads we don't plan any of it and we just much we just like actual <laughs> you know much like actual conspiracy series yes. i mean like that's yeah, a, you know like yeah. like uh ron watkins i think is just an incredible oh yeah improviser. He's, yeah he's yeah. just he's just the master of fucking like coming up with ridiculous ideas and trolling people you know yes. and what's you know what you were saying and about it, like and it, sorry go ahead i was gonna say it's incredible that um his twitter account is basically um just exactly the way QAnon used to like like right drops yeah um it, it it's amazing that such a coincidence that that is the case you know <laughs> yeah it's crazy i wonder who, i wonder who was doing who was behind that thing the entire time yeah you know yeah. like what's what you were saying about uh you know perhaps we should prosecute some of the people who are still alive who are responsible for doing these bad things is like that's to me a big part of why things like this still exist and have gotten yeah. out of control why there is like the anti-vax movement why the QAnon movement was so huge was because we saw you know like a lot of these people were former Obama supporters were people who were against the Iraq war were people mm -hmm. who you know who saw these massive uh, lies and crimes happening in broad daylight and nothing was happening to these people and so if somebody comes along that has some sort of answer to that like yeah some kind of gullible people with not so great critical thinking skills uh, <laughs> are going to latch onto that because it's telling yeah. them it's giving them some sort of narrative that makes sense because yeah. like we have not given them any like because the powers that be have not given them any kind of narrative that makes 
any fucking sense. They sell us, you know, on on this war invading Iraq with like all this like bullshit trumped up stuff about yellow cake or uranium and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then they walk scot-free and we all know it's a huge disaster and nobody cares. And so Ooh. it's just like, of course, like you're after that, like it breaks your brain after yeah. a while. You're willing to believe fucking anything. Yeah. I mean, like one one person went to jail over Iran-Contra. Like Oliver North is the only person that went to jail over Iran Contra, and, what and now he's the head of the NRA. So like and he doesn't he, have any yeah. fucking consequences. Head of, head of the NRA, and he's constantly on Fox News. So like he's doing what? fine. <laughs> like oops, sorry, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he 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 should be like in an unmarked grave in Nicaragua or something. Like <laughs> yeah. all the people he fucked over. Like yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. Insane. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, there's just so many colorful uh, characters in that world and in that culture um i just thought it was just like it, it was just ripe to do something with and so you know like i said i, I you know i'm very much i'm very interested in things like the kennedy assassination mm-hmm. um john and bobby uh you know mlk malcolm x uh fred hampton yeah um, Again, yeah, all Iron like Contra, real, yeah, very uh, real all left, shit that happened. All left wing leaders. Uh, <laughs> Funny how that happens. Yeah, everything that happened in South America. Like, yeah. you know, I'm very interested in all of those things. Lumumba, all I, of them. Yeah, Lumumba is like the most like heartbreaking one. I horrible. Think. Like to me, yeah. that one, that one's just that one's just brutal and, and horrible. You know, like it was just terrible. Um, but yeah, like I'm I'm into those. I'm into the ones that have like some actual there there. You know, right. <laughs> like like flat earth and lizard people and like lizard people chemtrails things like yeah the lizard people thing is like you got me until you start saying lizard yeah (laughs) like everything that you said before lizard you you got me but then you said lizard i was like ooh no they're just people right like yeah they're greedy yeah they're uh psychos yeah you're right about all that but they're not lizards they're just they're normal (laughs) all right let's actually wrap up this time um you know what Uh, drop your drop your plugs again uh because it bears repeating yep um find me on instagram and twitter at popper shango um, look for the truth cast, um, and the Burt Selleck podcast on all podcast platforms. Um, the shows also have social media, which you can find if you find the shows, uh, the podcast. It's easy and, enough to uh, do folks. You know how to navigate social media. Come on. Yep. And, you know and if what you're in, <laughs> yeah. And if you're in Detroit or planning to visit Detroit, uh, come catch a comedy show at the Independent Comedy Club inside of the Planet Ant uh, Ant Hall Theater in Hamtramck. Yeah. Man, I can't wait to get back to Detroit someday. I'm gonna do yeah. it. We just happen to be driving through. We were driving, you know, through to the Twin Cities, but I got you know a lot of friends uh, there, including you. And uh, so <laughs> you know, uh, it'd be it'd be great to see you next time. Yeah, absolutely. Good All right, man. Come come catch a show at the Independent. <laughs> Thank you once again to my guest Alex Bozanovic for being on the show what a mensch can I say that can I use Yiddish as a Gentile or is that gauche I don't know 
whatever. Check him out. Check his work out. He's a really funny guy. And uh, I'm glad he was on the show. And I'm glad you listened. Thank you. Support this show. If you're feeling charitable. You know, in the holiday season. Go to patreon.com slash selfworst. Kick in as little as a dollar a month. Or fuck it, just Venmo me. Give me like $5 right now and you don't have to commit to anything. I will totally accept that. I'm at Brad Pearson forever on Venmo. Send send me some money. Or, or if you really want to fuck with me, send me a request. Send Request $27 from me for having to listen to this. That'd also be pretty funny, and I might give that to you. Just for being that bold. Anyway, you can find me at Radical Pearson on Twitter and Instagram. You can find this show, follow this show, at Selfworst on Instagram. You get some updates, you get some funny depression memes there. I think I'm going to start uh, again uh, picking up the bonus contents. Uh, I'm going to continue, going to pick this, the series back up of Depression Bangers. I got some more ideas of some uh, sad boy music. Now that we're getting into sad music, sad bastard music season, I feel more inclined to uh, put on some gloomy ass music and vibe with it. So that's going to be coming. You got some bonus content. Oh, you can also email me if you really want. If you're, if you're like one of those people, like a DM is like uh, too informal. I don't know. Go ahead. DM me. Or email me. I dare you. At selfworst at gmail.com That's about it. Thank you for listening. Music is by Shea Bartell. Happy holidays and whatever. We're getting into it. We, we're not even like fully there yet. Are we even in the 12 days? I can't count. Are we 12 days away from Christmas? Who gives a shit? There's going to be more content before uh, before Christmas. So don't worry. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you. Bye.